This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is Tommy Duquette. Tommy, how's it going? What's going on, man? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know we've been connected for a while, and uh, I wanted to definitely get you on because I know all the things you've been doing. So um, let's just jump right into it. Um, just what was your – I know you grew up in uh, Massachusetts, right? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in uh, Boston, greater Boston area, Cambridge, Waltham, that whole area. And then, yeah, tell me a little bit about, like, your upbringing and how you got into boxing. No, nah, for sure. Yeah, so I grew up uh, in the projects in Cambridge into in, a certain age, and I moved to Waltham and, um, you know, went to high school and middle school in Waltham. And um, it's, as far as boxing is concerned, it's something that ever since I was little, like, I was always drawn to it. Movies, right, the fights, stuff like that. And uh, it's actually something that when you go back to my ancestry, it's in my blood. So you go back to my grandfather was a New England professional uh, boxing champion. His father before him, all the way back in the 1920s, uh, was a professional boxer as well. He raised all his kids to to fight. But, you know, that kind of skipped a generation, somehow carried over to me. My grandfather, uh, who was my mother's father, died when my mother was really young. And so I never met him. But I just always, you know, I saw some of the pictures and the memorabilia and always heard these stories. And, you know, that sort of was like my subtle push towards boxing. And my actual first day in a boxing gym is a whole nother story. I'm happy to get into if you're interested. Oh, yeah, you got you to tell me now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. So this is, yeah, this is definitely a unique boxing story. So, or, or maybe not. So I have an older cousin, about a year and a half older, which when you're little, you know, that's that seems like a lot, right? Yeah. And he was, back in the day, in the streets, you, you could, you know, you'd get a lot of fights. And he could, he could throw down, right? So, like, I grew up always watching him fight, you know, and always winning, too. He was just a menace, right? And um, by the time he got into high school, I was a little bit younger. I was probably uh, still in uh, eighth grade. He um, was getting in so much trouble with that. The teacher's like, what do we do with this kid? And they found this boxing gym called Boston Boxing in, uh, in Austin Brighton. It's still there, Boston Boxing. And they sent him there. So they connected with the coach. We got this kid, you know, he needs to take out some aggression in the gym. So they sent him there and I went with them. And first time I ever went, like, I remember, you know, got on the bus, one of this boxing gym, you know, he's going to be sick. Like, I'm going to watch a fight. Like, I'm going to watch people box each other. Like, I'm going to watch my cousin box with someone. And anybody who knows boxing and knows these old school gyms, knows if you walk in there and it's your first day, you think you're going to actually box? Like, these guys will laugh at you, you know, like, get the hell out of my gym. So we go in there all confident, you know, we're ready from the box. And the coach is like, literally is like, who are you? What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I came to watch. He's like, no, he's like, you can leave or you can put a, you can grab a jump rope. And that was it. My first day in the gym, did a workout and, you know, <laughs> pretty much been a part of my life ever since. I, um, I competed until the age of 26 in, in the amateurs and uh, had over 130 fights. And yeah, but I haven't fought in a, in a in a grip right yeah. yeah yeah for sure well i see all your posts and you're in crazy shape and uh yeah that's uh then tell me a little bit about um you're on team usa um tell me a bit a little bit about that experience yeah so i was i first time i cranked the top 10 rankings was um 
in 2008, you know, went out there and fought a national tournament. And, you know, there's some killers in my weight class that year. You, know, you think back, yeah, guys like, uh, obviously, Jamel Herring, you know, um, Jose Benavides, right? David Benavides' brother. Before David was even a thing, his brother Jose was just a monster in the amateurs, running through everybody. And uh, Frankie Gomez is another great fighter who, you know, undefeated prospect who just gave it up for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know if you remember his name when he's first coming up. He was training with Freddie Roach, and he just, yeah. you know, he missed weight one fight, and then he kind of just disappeared from the scene. It was a tragedy. But, man, that weight class that year, I'm leaving names out. It was stacked. Yeah. Yeah. So what? So so tell me, like, what is it that, um, like, what is the, I guess, what's the difference when, like, some people go pro and then some people just, like, stop? Man, it's all about your desire and your will. And uh, what I like to say about boxing is, like, if you don't have that desire, it's dangerous. Even if you have it, it's dangerous, obviously, yeah. right? But especially as you go up in levels or you're fighting the pros with smaller gloves, no headgear, like, this is life and death, right? And even if it's not, like, you know, look, you know, God forbid something like that happens, something tragic like that happens. It's rare. But what's not rare is taking a ton of abuse over the years and having that build up to the point where you, you're you 50 years old when most people are enjoying their lives and traveling and everything else. And you have the brain of, you know, an 80 or 90 year old, right? Um, so that decision isn't for everybody. When I was young, man, I thought it was for me because I got in this boxing gym and you know, a week goes by, two weeks, one month, and people are like, man, how long have you been boxing? Like, look, I've been boxing for years. It's just something. I was never that good at anything instantly as I was at boxing. No other sports, right? But right away, probably because it's literally in my DNA, like I throw a hook and go, wow, make a noise. How the hell is this little kid doing this? You know, he never even learned. So I was, I was fortunate in that with boxing. And I thought, like every kid, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Every kid wants to be a professional athlete. Yeah. But as I matured, you know, I grew up like very humbly, no money, single parent household, welfare, food stamp, all that stuff. And I knew I didn't want that for myself. And, you know, boxing is, it's definitely, you know, there's money to be made, but only at the very, very highest level at the top. Yeah. And it's not that I didn't, believe in myself and think that I could do that. But I was just always really interested in entrepreneurship and business. And I looked at these two different games and I said, this is a game boxing that I could do until maybe I'm like 35 or something like that. You know, sometimes people are extending it down to their forties or whatever. Um, but it's not going to be risk-free. Even if you do make it to the top, you make a ton of money, you're, you're taking some risk. Um, but maybe you don't. I know plenty of talented fighters that, that I used to, you know, be in the circle with and everything else that they didn't make a lot of money. And they're really, really, really good. So I looked at that option. I also looked at the option of the business world, which is something that if I didn't scratch that itch, like I would have regretted, right? If I didn't go down that path. And I said, this is a game I could play you know, for the rest of my life. You know, it doesn't cause a lot of bodily damage and I don't have to retire at the age of 35 I can just continue to do it and challenge myself and um somewhere around you know leading up to the Olympic trials in 2012 I said to myself that I'll be happy 
just chasing down this as far as I can do it. If I become an Olympian, that's great. That's a dream come true, right? Or win a medal or do anything like that. If I don't, you know, if I can, you know, if I, if I can test for that, whatever, whatever I'm able to do, I'm going to be happy with that. And then I'm going to move on from there. So I knew, you know, a couple of years leading into that, that I was no longer going to do it. It's been hard to not do it over the years. I've wanted to, mm-hmm. um, but I just didn't think it was the best for me. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And um, for those that don't know, in other countries too, when you usually rise up in the amateur careers, sometimes you're almost like set for life. So that's why those guys don't go uh, pro also. Yeah. Well, think, that doesn't really happen in America, right? Not traditionally, no. Um, traditionally, that amateur career is kind of like your your college degree. That's the way I describe it to people is like, all right, did you go to the local community college or whatever for like a year or two, which is great. Like do that. But that's like maybe, you know, you find your local Golden Gloves. Yeah. Did you make it to that national level? Did you get ranked in the top 10? Did you win any of these tournaments? That's when you're like in the Ivy League. Right? Did you win a gold medal in the Olympics? That's when you're the the valedictorian of Harvard or something like that. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. That's the way right. I see that. Most Before we get into the the business side, um, yeah. since now all this like celebrity boxing and all these all this different stuff is going on, if you had the opportunity, if you got a, the chance, would you box like a celebrity or like a YouTuber or anything like that? Man, I, it would really depend. Um, like. It would depend. Yeah, I wouldn't say no to it. Like, what? Tell, show me the check. You know what I mean? <laughs> or if, like, it depends on who they are. If I feel like, yeah, if I feel like it would be good for the sport, then 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 maybe even if there's not a check involved, um, do they want to do? No, that? we're talking about we're talking about again. You cashed out. Yeah, yeah. Give me some <laughs> names. I'll tell you. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then yeah, just going into the business side of things. Like, um, I know you went to you went to uh, where did you go to college? I went to a school. It's a small private school in Boston called Babson College. Yeah. And um, it's interesting, man. So like in the summers, in, you know, during, during when I was in high school and then when I got out of high school, I didn't go to college right away. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to like a community college actually to start to build up uh, credits and stuff like that. I used to wash windows and I had this uh, older guy who's like in his 60s. And uh, he built up this window cleaning business. He didn't even know how to read and write, barely, right? But he's able to build up this business. Like, awesome guy. And uh, it was like a, you know, million dollar, multi-million dollar per year account. So super impressive. And he used to tell me, we'd, we'd be driving through this town that's on the outskirts of Boston. It's like a really high-end suburb called Wellesley. Um, high-end enough to where people would be paying us to clean their windows, right? Yeah. And we'd be driving through Wellesley and we drive by this building. He had like, he's like an old guy had that raspy voice. And he's like, he called me Flash. He's like, Flash, you see that place right there? You see that school? He's like, he's like, that's where all the big shots go right there. You know, and he used to tell me that all the time. And that stuck with me. And I did some research on the school and it's not like your, your Harvard or anything else like that. It's more on underground. But when you look at the alumni and the businesses they started and you read about the school, you go there, it's the size of a high school. It's definitely a different experience. If you're going to college for that party, you know, fraternity life experience, you're not going to get it there. Kids wear like a shirt and tie there. They don't have to, they just do, mm-hmm. right? 
it's very conservative and business focused and everybody there's on their grind and everybody goes from there until if they don't start a business they go into like finance or accounting or management consulting and things like that but the school is especially known for entrepreneurship it's the only major and if you go there you study entrepreneurship you have to mm. yeah that's dope yeah. I should have, I should have been looking into that when I was looking yeah. at college. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You would have thrived yeah. there for a minute. Yeah. Then tell me about like, um, what, like, tell me about like your first business ventures and, uh, maybe like while you had a job and then you were still side hustling and things like that. Mm, yeah. I mean, so while I was in school and stuff like that, uh, and I was boxing, I, you know, go in between back and forth to doing the window cleanings, put some money in my pocket. And then eventually I, I was growing up my uh, client base to a point where I could just teach private clients, which was nice, right? Especially leading into the Olympic trials. I didn't have to work some you know, part-time job or anything like that. I could focus on my training. I still had to go make money, train these clients, but it was enough for me to be able to like go to school, train, and then bring in some dough. I started teaching these heavy bag classes when I was like 14 years old, probably. And my trainer, a uh, guy named uh, Ed he he started giving me private clients and having me teach these classes as a way to like supplement my income so I could spend more time in the gym. So I didn't have to go, you know, work at CVS or whatever else you do at the age of 16, 14, 15, 16. So that's how I started building that. And I'd say that was definitely my first like entrepreneurial ventures. Like I'm in school and I'm training and I'm doing that. I'm trying to figure out ways to make more dough through like referral. I started running ads on Facebook to get more clients and it was generally successful. It was fun. You know, I definitely made a good amount of money for somebody that age that was doing all that other kind of stuff. Um, while I was in school, the, 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 I got a really big opportunity in my last semester um, to do this internship with a fund, a VC fund, venture capital called Highland Capital. It was like this academic internship, it was a group of five of us. And um, there was this dude who was like, almost like our like our mentor in the group, but he, he runs the fund. His name is Bob Davis. He's the founder of Lycos, which was like one of the first ever search engines, like OG, like way, way back, right? And I remember, you know, there were a couple other, uh, this was like this class where, students who get chosen to do these academic internships. There are a couple other companies, you know, big companies, whatever. And the people who were running these groups, they stood up and they're like, oh, my company, my name is this, I did this. This dude stood up, this dude, Bob Davis. He's like, I raised this much money to do this. I had this company, Lycos, I took this company public. I did this, I did that. Everybody else that stood up before him was like suit and tie, you know, business, everything else. He had like a t-shirt on and jeans. And he just got up like a boss, sat down and everybody in the room was like, whoa. Yeah. And I remember being like, dude, that's, that's pretty cool. And that, you know, that experience of doing that internship with Highland Capital, which is like, a, you know, they invest in tech companies, startups, we, we call, got me really interested in the venture space. Yeah, yeah, that's dope. I think that's another cool thing about, um, I think, like, since the pandemic, I think everyone kind of, uh, I guess, leaned back in terms of like, you know, dress, like, you have to dress up to be a professional, like you just wear normal clothes and still be professional like it's like it's like a funny turn of events but it's also dope for me like even like even like this right now like doing zoom meetings instead of like face to face like it doesn't always have to be you know face to face it's like more convenient sometimes to do stuff like over the internet 
No, absolutely, man. I, I agree. And it's funny because the startup world, you think of the movies they've seen, they kind of started this culture of like, who cares what you wear? Like, you know, you think of Mark Zuckerberg wearing the hoodie. It's like, I don't need to wear a suit to make a humongous business, right? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. We love a, you know, a nice suit, yeah. right? When we take a uh, fight camp public someday, you know, God forbid, I hope, and we're on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, I'm not wearing a hoodie. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, for sure. I'm dressing up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I want to look like, you know, Mad Men, the TV show. <laughs> Have you seen that? Uh, no. Nah with Don Draper, like back in the day when like they'd sit there, they'd go to the office in New York City, some ad agency, and they'd, you know, be dressed to the nines and they'd have, be drinking whiskey at work. <laughs> there That's you go. the age I wish I was born in. Yeah, that would be yeah. funny. Um, yeah, now tell me about Fight Camp. I know you're the, the co-founder of it. You've been doing it for over six years now. So, um, and I know I've been, we've been, in contact just via social media and uh everything looks like it's been growing and growing yeah no fight camp has uh it's been amazing it's been a hell of a ride uh it's been growing and growing into but before all that happened, like it wasn't like it's tough man yeah. like you know i joined up um with my co-founders back in you know 2015 um and at the time you know my two co-founders khalil and alex they're from uh Canada, Montreal, Quebec area, and um, both engineers, and they had created by hand the first ever punch trackers, which, you know, prior to naming, renaming under the name Fight Camp, we're named Hixo, we created the first ever punch tracking technology. Uh, a lot of people copied us, you might see them out there, at one point Everlast copied us, and then they shut it down, right? Other people out there copying us. It's funny. I get pitched by a different dev shop in China every day. They're like, we have punch trackers. <laughs> oh, we made them, you know? <laughs> um, that happens in business, though. When you do some rights, it's, it's, it's flattery, right? Mm -hmm. Imitation like that is flattery. So, yeah, going back, you know, to 2015, um, we had this, like, handmade product. And then to get from the point to where there to where I now was a beast of an effort that we definitely underestimated because if we knew they say this a lot about you know really hard things right whether it's you're trying to be the champion of the world in in, in a sport or you're trying to start a business if you knew what was ahead of you you would stress you out a lot more the winners i think are always overly optimistic they think they're it's like whatever i'm gonna get it done yeah right and um but as of late you know, the company has been growing like crazy. Um, we recently raised what's called Inventure, our Series B round. So Inventure, it's usually you start with the seed round. You raise a Series A, Series B, it goes on from there. Um, and the goal is to eventually, for some people, it's to sell the company to, to exit. For some people, it's to keep it private. You know, you see Elon Musk, he just bought Twitter and he wants to turn it private, right? And that's, and that's you know, a cool strategy as well. And then, you know, for a lot of companies, especially in venture, where you're taking venture capital, it's to take the company public. So that's still a independently, you know, owned company, but um, yeah, you, you, you put it in the public market so that early best investors, employees can get some liquidity. Yeah, that's dope. And then yeah. um, I know you did some work with Mike Tyson. So tell me about that experience, because I can't imagine what that was like for you. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so Mike Tyson actually invested in our Series B round along with some other athletes, George St. Pierre, Francis Ngannou, Usher, singer Usher. All right. Yeah, it's Catherine Winnick, some other people, right? 
So, so Mike invested his own hard-earned cash in there. And um, that, like, that's an honor, right? To have Mike Tyson believe in uh, your company and your vision. That's part of that. We're also doing a deal with him. He comes in and shoots promo with us. And I was able to meet him for the first time about six months ago. And it was an experience, dude. Mike Tyson gets out of the, uh, the SUV, and there's just something different about his presence. Yeah. Present, I, that's something like, I, it almost sounds like, you know, woo-woo to a lot of people, but to me, there's something to presence. So the way somebody carries himself, the posture, it's like the energy they give off, there's something different about Mike, and you can feel it right away. Um, and, you know, but right away, man, he comes in, the man, super nice guy, really interested in the business. Like, you know, walk, we walk around the headquarters, he's asking questions. What is this? What is that? Um, we had specific instructions to have a plate of watermelon and blueberries. This is what he likes. Right when he sees the plate, full bare hand, whoosh, grabs as many blueberries, shoves them in his mouth. <laughs> man, I love the blueberries. Um, we sat down did an interview, which was crazy insane he got up hit the bag a little bit and left and then um he came back a second time recently and we did a little bit longer of an interview and that to me was really special because we just vibed it was awesome it was a hell of an experience yeah no that's awesome like <clears throat> me just working with athletes ever since like uh probably like 2012 was when i was like All right, i can't be starstruck anymore and then i gotta be like professional but like there's a few athletes that would i would definitely be starstruck and uh mike tyson would definitely be one of them oh, um dude. Absolutely. Like even a couple of weeks ago, I was at actually one of the celebrity boxing events and Roy Jones Jr. was there and he walked by me and that was pretty uh, cool just to see, like see him in person. He's actually like kind of smaller than I think thought he would be. Yeah, honestly, Mike Tyson was smaller than I thought he would be. Yeah. He's, he, he's not tall, right? Yeah. Like a, a, maybe an inch taller than me. I'm five, nine. I know they listen as 5'11", I think, but I don't, I think he's, he's maybe 5'10". Yeah. But he's big. Yeah. yeah. Like his body, he's like a, like a refrigerator. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was curious, how old is Mike? Is he 50 now? 51? Yeah. And I was curious to see like, can he still move? Right. So he hit the bag in front of me and, and PG, man, I'm telling you, it was impressive. Like this man, the way he can still explode and get leverage on his punches and the speed that he has was really impressive. And it's not just the power, it's his ability to put punches together in, in combination still. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, he's 55. 55, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he's built right. He's still, he's maintained a lot of that fast switch muscle. Yeah, Crazy. for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, even when we saw him fight Roy Jones Jr., I mean, he looked uh, better than Roy Jones in shape more than Roy Jones Jr. did. Some people were able to maintain. It's crazy, yeah. man. I, you know, I follow boxers and like obviously box from the past stuff like that. I remember one time I saw an interview with with the great Joe Frazier before he passed away. Rest in peace. And he was older. He's in his sixties. And they grabbed the bag and like, all right, I want you to hit this bag, you know. So he puts on the gloves, and I'm expecting him still to be dynamite. And he starts hitting the bag and I was like, man, I think it's a, maybe a cognitive thing, yeah. you know, there's something about the mo or mobility or something like that. So I didn't know what to expect with Mike and then Mike, Mike hits the bag. You, he might as well be some white heavyweight young prospect though, the way he hits the bag. You wouldn't believe it. It's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's wild. 
Um, and then, yeah. yeah, what's the, what's the future for fight camp? Man, just growing that subscriber base. Uh, we're doing some really cool content, uh, experimental stuff pretty soon. We're going to shoot in a couple weeks um, with some professional fighters. So we have um, Chris Algieri is going to come in. That's supposed to be on the DL, but I can leak that here. Chris Algieri is going to come in and give us some news on uh, some, give some information on users on nutrition. So he's got a master's degree in clinical nutrition. He's a genius when it comes to that stuff. So we're going to film a whole module with him on nutrition for our members. So that's definitely new. Um, trying to really broaden out the offering. We recently added strength and conditioning to the platform for people as well. So before that, it was just bag workouts, boxing and kickboxing. Um, and now strength and conditioning as well. We're going to add this nutrition stuff. So continuing to add uh, value to the platform, just grow up that user base. Yeah, yeah that's dope. Um, and what, what advice would you give uh, to like a young entrepreneur or a young boxer or both? Yeah, I mean, shit. Young boxer, like, and a young entrepreneur, is there's no rest, dedication. That's it. Every single day counts. You know what I mean? So, like, whether it's you know business, you should be you should be on that. But especially when it's early in the game, there's no weekends, man. Yeah, that shit doesn't exist. You know, you're a boxer. It's like, oh, I'm in between fights, and I'm gonna chill my friends say you're a young fighter I'm gonna, or i'm gonna drink or i'm gonna go out i'm gonna do things like that that shit catches up to you because like i, I was telling you earlier man just from being involved in that amateur system for so long you know being in all the national tournaments for all the years and stuff like that and seeing these guys from the errol spencers of the world to the guys that you know fought at the same level as him that you never even heard of because they're probably just as talented the difference is that they don't put in the same amount of work yeah. that catches up with you over time. Because once you get to that highest, highest level, that's, you know, everybody's at a similar skill level. So it's like these little margins that count the most, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. All right. You ready for some uh, fun questions? All right. Let's go. All right who, who's your, who's your favorite boxer of all time? Man, like favorite in terms of skills is going to be Floyd Mayweather. Um, you just can't touch him. How can you, how can you touch Floyd Mayweather? Favorite in terms of societal impact and all that, just favorite all around. I'm picking Jack Johnson and he's a throwback OG. But what a lot of people don't realize about Jack Johnson is that he's the, the you'll read it and you won't see this. He's the first heavyweight champion of all time because before Jack Johnson, heavyweights wouldn't fight heavyweights, right? Not all heavyweights would fight heavyweights. It's like, the heavyweight champions back then wouldn't fight anybody other than other white heavyweights. Yeah. And the way that Jack Johnson faced that obstacle, there's an amazing documentary that Ken Burns did on the life of Jack Johnson. If you haven't seen it yet, everybody should watch it free on YouTube. And it's probably the best documentary ever made. The way that he made that happen, he manifested that. That's like that athlete confidence and that self-belief. There was no way he was going to live and then die without that fight happening. And he used a lot of these tactics that fighters use nowadays. He used the media. So wherever the, the heavyweight title was happening, Jack Johnson would be there. And he'd be talking to the newspapers. And he'd be talking, he'd be talking to shit, yeah. right? And he got it to a point to where he got the public wondering, I wonder what would happen. If, you know, this dude fought Jack Johnson, or if that dude fought Jack Johnson. And 
it just that momentum it built and built and built to the point where he got the the media and the public so interested in that question that he was able to raise the money to make it sort of like you know an offer that the current heavyweight champion at the time was a guy named tommy burns couldn't refuse and it was an easy fight yeah. it was an easy fight for him and it answered that question so i love jack johnson the goat he's jackie robinson before jackie robinson yeah for sure that's dope i gotta check that documentary out yeah um what do you like to do in your free time man work out you know i try to stay disciplined myself that's how you're uh working out is so important to your mental state your performance even at just as an entrepreneur you have to get up your body was meant to move sunlight you need to get sunlight all these things matter so so much to your performance so I, I stay in shape. I kind of have to for work because I'm one of the trainers on the platform of Fud Camp and you can't have your trainer not be in shape. <laughs> Otherwise, you're looking at the platform, you're like, I don't know if this works. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything here. So yeah. that's, that's important to me. And just been just hanging out with my, my wonderful uh, girlfriend, hopefully my future wife, Julina. We do a lot of fun stuff. We went off-roading last week for the first time. She's always pushing me into adventures and things like that, so... Yeah, so uh, last one. Uh, what's your what? What are what is something that people don't know about you? Yeah, something people don't know about me. That's a good question. Hmm. I don't know. It's probably a lot of things, but then it's like, do I want to share? <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, something people don't know about me. I do yoga on the side. Could you imagine that? All right. I like that. <laughs> All right, Tommy. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, could you let the listeners know where they could uh, find you at? Uh, absolutely. Uh, on Instagram, at Tommy Duquette. Definitely check out Fight Camp. It's uh, fightcamp.com. That's it. We were able to get that that URL or at Fight Camp on Instagram. Um, check us out on YouTube, everything else. 